Yeah, all good. Let's start. Do you want me to do the intro? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy for you to lead, mate. That's all good. Yes. Welcome, listeners, back to the Mojo Sports Network, the AFL show, where already it's round 11 and the season is just about halfway. My name is Yuri Bilsich. Great to have your company. And joining me for this episode is Nathan Jennings. We're going to break down the round in preview and see... Where we pick some of the nine winners and see where some teams' prospects lie within for the second half of this season. Nathan, welcome to you. Yuri, how are you, mate? Yeah, travelling well, thank you. Great to have you on board. It's just been a, another unbelievable season to date and looking forward to picking some winners and dissecting down where some of the teams are at. Yeah, very much so exciting. Team drop, so we've got a little bit of intel now as well to ready at cracking for our previews. I'm very excited. Likewise too, Nathan. Why don't we begin with tomorrow night's game, Sydney and Carlton. If you had thought at the start of this season that both teams would be in the positions that they are in at the moment, Sydney sitting four wins and six losses, Carlton four wins, a draw, and five losses, most people probably would have expected it, right? Yeah, I probably would have thought this would have been a top four blockbuster um, on a Friday night. I think the AFL probably thought thought the same thing when they scheduled this in. But um, look, Sydney probably a little bit of a grand final hangover, and Carlton still the curse, maybe trying to get back into finals. But it is a little bit harder to believe, I think. Yeah, it is. It definitely is for sure, Nathan. It's been a decade now for the Blues since they last made finals, all the way back in 2013, and. We know exactly what happened that first week against Richmond. Just some of the team lineups. We'll start first with Sydney because Lewis Melican's back into the team. He's one of Sydney's key defenders too. And they've absolutely been injury ravaged in their back line. Tom Hickey's a welcome addition too after Peter Latham's serious ankle injury last Saturday against North Melbourne. And Sam Wicks, pretty sure it's his first game for the season. He comes into the team. The outs for Sydney, Will Gould has been omitted. Likewise, Dylan Stevens for the second time this season. And as we mentioned, Peter Laddams out with that nasty ankle injury. And for Carlton, Brody Kemp comes back into the team. Likewise, Tom DeConning, who's spent the last couple of weeks in the VFL and, of course, had that concussion too, which has kept him on the sidelines. And the outs for the Blues, well, they've swung the axe this week, has coach Michael Voss with Lewis Young been omitted, Ed Curno likewise, and the other two, Jack Silvani. What do you make of those changes? Yeah, really interesting from a Carlton perspective, especially, you know, all the media chat uh, yesterday after um, Mark Pittnett signed a four-year deal. Everyone probably thought that might have been the uh, the end of Tom DeConing at, um, at Carlton. But lo and behold, you know, Vossi's looking for some change. And hopefully now this is an opportunity for um, DeConing to make that second ruck slash third tall for his own and, be able to stay at Carlton long-term. I think he sort of, uh, you know, flirted around there for a little while. But, you know, a good opportunity, as you mentioned, a depleted Sydney backline for him as well, I think. It was surprising when I first read it yesterday morning that they, Carlton re-signed Mark Pitnett to a four-year deal. I was taken aback by that. And I thought, where does Tom DeConning line up in Carlton's plans moving forward? Because there's been circulating interest from Geelong, Sydney, St Kilda, trying to snaffle him up from the Blues and... He's only, what, 23 years of age and there's so much potential left in him. We've only seen glimpses here and there from Tom, especially in some games last season when he really showcased what he could do. I'm pretty sure it was the first round against the Tigers where he took the outstanding leaping mark. I forgot over which Richmond play it was, but we saw it right there and there and 
This season, of course, hasn't gone according to plan just yet, but there's still plenty of time left to play this season. And hopefully for Tom moving forward, he can solidify his place back in Carlton's best 22. Just looking in terms of the midfields as well too, Nathan, of course, Carlton's midfield. There has been talk probably at least in the last couple of weeks about sort of the one dimension that they have at their disposal. There's not the real versatility that some players can float either half back or half forward. But we have seen it at times with Adam Chera, Matt Kennedy playing different stages across half back. But because all the midfielders, including Cripps, Chera, Walsh, Hewitt, are very similar in terms of their contested style of play, even though Walsh can provide a lot of that uncontested run on the outside, it does in a way, has sort of mixed a little bit with their midfield combinations. But how do you see it sort of panning out tomorrow night? It's interesting because I think Sydney's midfield is a little bit similar as well. So it's probably two of a similar product going against one another. And I think at the end of the day, especially on a smaller ground, it's probably going to be the midfield that gets first use of the ball out of the middle. That's probably going to be, you know, in the best position to be able to sort of go forward and win this game. You know, you look... Cripps, Chera, Walsh versus Parker, Warner, Golden, Rowbottom in the middle. You know, it's a mouth-watering matchup, I think, on paper. Um, and I reckon it's going to come down to whoever sort of gets first use of the ball. And, you know, throwing a, a bigger body like Kennedy in there as well at some stage will probably help as well. Sort of break up that sort of, um, you know, same like for like him that Carlton do have through that midfield as well, I think. Oh, definitely for sure, Nathan, too. Both midfields, exceptionally a lot of talent. It's just this season thus far hasn't quite clicked for both teams and for a variety of reasons, injuries, poor form, and the the latter, basically. So who are you picking tomorrow night? Who's your tip? Look, you know, normally I'll go Sydney. You know, they're pretty safe at the SCG, and I think purely the fact that they're so depleted down back and, you know, Kerno and Mackay, even though especially Mackay's, you know, form has been a little bit, you know, iffy at times. I think this is a real good opportunity for them to get a good confidence boost as a duo and kick a bag between them. I think Carlton do get the job done, but I'm not sold. What do you reckon? I think likewise too, Nathan. It's going to be an exceptionally close game. I've got the Blues just by nine points, but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Swans do get up. I just think, though, that they depleted back line and plus the forward line too with, of course, Logan McDonald's absence then. He had a solid start to this season too and, of course, the whole circulating around Buddy Franklin in terms of whether he finishes this season or not, that's still yet to be decided as of yet. So we'll move on from tomorrow night's clash, Sydney and Carlton to kickstart round 11 onto the first game on Saturday under the roof at Marvel Stadium between St Kilda and Hawthorne. And the Saints, of course, it was a... You could say a very tricky game last Sunday against the Giants. It wasn't any easy feat whatsoever. They were challenged continuously, but were able to secure the four points. And the Hawthorne Eagles clash, I think when he looked on paper, of course, both teams sitting the bottom two, it was probably expected to be closer than what the actual desired result was. Hawthorne, a 116-point caning. What do you make of what we're going to expect under the roof at Docklands? It's interesting. Docklands is a sort of stadium that always produces some random results. Like you even rewind last week where North Melbourne almost knocked off Sydney and, and that crazy ending as well. Look, I, I don't see anything crazy happening in this game. But to be honest, one thing I am looking forward to is seeing Max King in his second game. He showed a lot of promise, you know, coming back from that shoulder injury last week against a, a reasonably good, um, you know, backline with the DWS Giants. And, you know, 
a little bit younger, probably a little bit undersized Hawthorne back one. I'm really looking to see what um, what Max King can do this week. Um, and then the suffocating St Kilda defence, you know, I don't quite think Hawthorne have enough offence to be able to sort of, you know, get those cheap goals they did against West Coast last week. So, unfortunately, I reckon it might be a long day for, uh, for Hawthorne under the roof this time, I reckon. Have to definitely agree with you there, Nathan. St Kilda and Ross Lyon 2.0, 2.0 since he's come back to the club has transformed St Kilda's defensive lines. They've got one of the most stingiest back sixes. Callum Wilkie is just an intercepting marking machine. And I think for most teams, when they try and scout it to how to try and cut down St Kilda's defensive press, it's difficult to get a real pinpoint on where to begin. We saw Port Adelaide back in round seven have their difficulties in the first quarter and then Somehow they found a formula, and that was by continuously attacking, playing at all costs, and not allowing St Kilda's defence to get set. And that's what gave them so much success in that seven-point win on that Friday night. And, well, I think it's going to have to be the same thing against Hawthorne, but how they try and get through the St Kilda zone, I think that's going to be a tricky enough proposition. So I've got the Saints winning this by about four goals. What's your margin, Nathan? Probably a little bit more. I reckon closer in the maybe six to eight goal range. I think it'd be pretty crude. It might be a, a fourth quarter where Ross then looks to sort of put some of his, you know, top players on ice as well when the game done and dusted, I think. Yeah, definitely for sure there too. And it, I think it'll be a pretty a low scoring game too, just the way the Saints have scored this season too. And Hawthorne, of course, et cetera, from the Eagles game have had their fair share of difficulties hitting the scoreboard on a regular basis. We'll move across town now from Marvel Stadium to the MCG for Nam versus Wally Up. So this is a very intriguing game yet again because we saw what happened last year, exactly the same round, exactly the same time last year. Nam had a 28-point lead before the Dockers ran them down in the second half to prevail. It was an incredible performance considering all the momentum that time was on the demon side. And in terms of the injury list at the moment or the team changes, the biggest one of the lot is Clayton Oliver is out with a hamstring. And yet we don't know exactly how long he's going to be out for. They've put a TBC to be confirmed, but he'll definitely miss this clash. How do you feel in a way with Fremantle's late resurgence to three weeks, beating, of course, Hawthorne, beating Sydney and taking down the Cats last Saturday at Optus Stadium, whereas Melbourne last Friday night was a real slogfest against... Yatapulti. Yeah, look, I think this is actually going to be a really, really interesting game. I think probably the other player to note that's missing this week is Lockie Hunter through suspension. I've been really hot on his pick by Melbourne. That sort of classy player on the wing to sort of match what Ed Langdon's doing on the other wing. Um, I actually reckon Fremantle are probably going to win this one, in my opinion. Um, unfortunately, Sonny Walters out injured. You know, that's probably... You know, a bit of an old man injuries at the back end of his career. But, you know, from what we've sort of seen in Fremantle the last couple of weeks, they're sort of getting back to where they were last year, which I think is really, really positive. Um, you know, they've got the three young forwards, Jackson, Amos and Tracy, that are looking quite a, you know, a good trio together now as well. And I think with Clayson being out in the midfield, that just pure ball winner from the contest and the stoppage, that's going to be a big advantage in the uh, favour of Fremantle. And especially now that Nat Five sort of running around in there as well, um, I, I think Fremantle will get the win. But, like, Yuri, what do you reckon about the Melbourne backline versus an inexperienced Fremantle forward line, though? I think it's going to be highly fascinating, Nathan, with, of course, Jack Levin, Stephen May, their intercepting abilities. And Fremantle's forward line has been clicking these last three weeks. I think Jai Amos, who's stepped onto the scene, he's kicked 
I think it's now 16 goals. And, of course, no Michael Walters for the clashes you mentioned, Nathan, too. I was just doing some prep in the lead-up to our discussion. And the four-fleet small forward foot with Michael Walters, Lockie Schultz as well, Sam Switkowski, they've combined for 54 goals, the four players. And Michael Fredericks, the other one. 54 majors between the four of them so far in the first 10 rounds this season. That's an exceptional effort thus far to date because – Last season, pretty sure all four of them combined for over 80 goals. So they're well on track to surpass that, the way they're playing their forward pressure. And the biggest thing in these last three weeks too, Nathan, there's been Fremau's expansive ball movement. There's been less sideways kicking. There's been less stagnation. There's been more dare and flair to get the ball on all costs. And they're reaping the rewards at this stage. And it's exactly the same formula that they had last year when they upset the Demons at the MCG in round 11. And... I only have to look back to last week too, Nathan. There was a formula as well that Port Adelaide found against Melbourne. And you don't and this is something they did really well in the game against West Coast back in twenty nineteen here at Optus. And that was not to bomb the ball in the air. That was trying to get grubber kicks along the ground and try and not allow May and Lever to come up as that third man and intercept. And again, it is going to be curious to see how Justin Longmill approaches this tactic come Saturday afternoon's clash? I don't think it's any different to what they've been doing the last couple of weeks. It's like the, the uh, lowering the eyes sort of a mentality where instead of blasting it long and Lever or May come in and make the inset mark that they're known for, the young quick forwards are able to get that separation off their defender. The midfielders lower their eyes and, and hit their targets as they come out towards them. And I think it's it sort of worked for them the last couple of weeks, especially against a formidable back line last week in Geelong. Um, and I don't see any reason why they go away from that. They've got that run through the midfield now. And they've sort of started to get that polish back in their delivery inside 50 and um, their efficiency going um, up over the last three weeks as well. So I don't see any reason to change, especially against a dominant backline like Melbourne do have as well. Definitely not, Nathan. Fremau's points per game last three weeks have been averaging at 108.7 points per game. So it just tells you exactly how Fremau's offense is clicking at the moment. So who's your prediction for this clash and why? Uh, look, I'm actually going to go Fremantle. One, because I actually do think they've got um, form and like the sort of system that they've got right now to beat Melbourne, and especially the way Melbourne's been a bit hit and miss in the last couple of weeks. Also, I'm floundering in footy dips, and I need a roughie to get up <laughs> as well. So um, it's a roughie, but I also do think Fremantle will get up. What do you reckon? I've got the Demons narrowly by kick, Nathan. It's going to be close all afternoon, and the conditions are supposed to be cloudy, I'm pretty sure, looking at the Melbourne weather too. So it Probably does suit in terms of both sides as well in their contested work. But again, we'll find out come Saturday afternoon. It should be an absolute cracker. We'll switch now to the twilight game between Geelong and GWS down at the Cattery where most teams haven't had much success for at least the last 16 years. But the GWS Giants have had in 2021, in round 21, they had that stirring Friday night victory. And in round four, 2019, they also had a stirring four-point win over Geelong, and that was a game, of course, which unfortunately Callum Ward missed the rest of that 2019 home and away season due to the torn ACL. So we'll go through the lineups first, starting with the Cats, and they've got a debutante as well in Osin Mullen, and Sam DeConning comes back into the team. Likewise does Ollie Henry. The outs to the Cats, Mitch Nevitt has been omitted. Likewise, Ollie Dempsey. Max Holmes, is, Max Holmes, should I say, is the big omission there with a knee injury, and Sam Simpson has been rested. And for the Giants in terms of their lineups too, Callum Brown comes back into the team. Likewise, Lockyer 
Lockie Keefe and Daniel Lloyd. The outs for the Giants, Cameron Fleeton, Josh Kelly, Nick Haynes is out with concussion. That's a big loss too. One of the top interceptors in the comp. And likewise, Harry Himmelberg. What do you make of how we're going to fare out this game between the Cats and Giants, Nathan? Look, I think the Giants team with Toby Green is always in with a shout. Like He's got the ability to be able to turn the game on its head within minutes, and we've seen that multiple times across his 200 games, which he is playing on the weekend, which is a great achievement for him, especially you know some of the disciplinary issues that he's gone through. It's great to see him get that, to that milestone. It's a fantastic achievement. But, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of two things to me. You look at the three major outs for GWS with Kimmelberg, uh, Josh Kelly in the midfield, and then things down back as well. And the fact that no one no one really wins down at Cadinia uh, Park. It's a, it's a fortress down there for a good reason. And, you know, despite someone like a Max Holmes being out and a little bit lighter on in the midfield with that danger field as well, I don't see that changing. Um, they've had the ground well. The crowd comes out in, in its droves, even though it's been done up at the moment. And as much as I'd love to say GWS win, I, I don't see them in with a chance for this one, unfortunately. No, likewise too, Nathan, too. Even though Geelong have had their well, fair share of injuries now with Holmes's knee injury, Patrick Dangerfield still out on the sidelines with a hamstring injury, Mitch Duncan, Cam Guthrie didn't realise that he was still on the sidelines with an injury just looking at it earlier today. So they are depleting the way through their midfield, the Cats, but they should still have enough enough incentive to get the job done, especially down the Cattery where it's been absolutely Haunted house of nightmares for all 17 other clubs in the AFL. We'll turn our attention now from the Cats and Giants to the two Saturday night games. We'll first start with a trip up to Darwin, Gold Coast and the Western Bulldogs. The Bulldogs have been absolutely flying at the moment and it all started with their round three win over the Brisbane Lions and they've continued their search from there. And the Gold Coast Suns, well, who knows these next couple of weeks for them too. They've been in games and they've also lost ones which... They were in, especially last Saturday night against the Brisbane Lions, that Q clash before being completely overrun to the tune of 43 points. How do you make your way with the Suns midfield, especially Matt Round, Noah Anderson, who have really stepped up in Tuke Miller's absence as he continues to recover from his long-term injury? And the Western Bulldogs midfield too, led by skipper Marcus Bontempelli, has just been absolutely humming on all cylinders. Yeah, from a Bulldogs perspective, Bondapelli's sort of been in a bit of a get on my back boys mode, really. He's, uh, you know, getting pretty much every clearance it feels. And, you know, he, he's surely going to get his running match for law back in there as well. But Libertora, you know, he's the one for me. He's the he's the dog in there. He gets on his hands and knees, gets dirty and gets the, the footy when no one else wants to. And, you know, Ma- uh, Matty Rouse is similar, packing machine. And Noah Anderson sort of turning into a superstar in front of our eyes. And I think the most positive thing from a Gold Coast perspective is, you know, since Cook's gone out, what, three weeks ago now, they haven't missed a beat. You know, they were in the game against Melbourne right to the end. Um, they were disappointing in the fourth quarter, but before then against Brisbane, they were right in that one as well. Then obviously came over here to Perth and did the job against West Coast. So, you know, like, they have been a team on the rise, even though they sort of haven't, you know, accumulated wins to move up the ladder, I don't, I think. But the big one for me is Johansson. You know, Johansson's come into some form. You know, he's been one that struggled with injury, you know, across the course of his career. And he's been playing some really, really good footy off that halfback and pushing up onto the wing at times as well. And it's a pretty nasty hamstring injury. So, you know, unfortunate for him, but also for the Bulldogs going forward as well, I reckon. I think luckily too, Nathan, as well for Jason Johansson, he doesn't require surgery on it because most high hamstring injuries do require surgery, especially if you tear it off the bone. Only have to look back to 2006 when Matthew Lloyd seriously did his hamstring 
and missed the rest of the season, had to undergo surgery for it. So best of luck in terms of Jason Johansson's speedy recovery too and the Bulldogs are expecting him to be back within eight to ten weeks there as he currently is on the sidelines at the moment. Just one more before we do grab a prediction as well, Nathan, to in terms of who basically who fills in that void for Jason Johannesson. Do you expect he'll be Bailey Williams or do you expect Caleb Daniel might shift back there? I think Caleb Daniels for me, I, and I think purely from the reason of his ball use, he is a you know a top ball user in the competition, and I think he sort of gives him that stability at the back with the ball in his hands, and they really seek the seek him out to have the ball in his hands as well. So you know, again, as we sort of touched on, it's unfortunate with Jackson, but I think the best thing about the Bulldogs, not just their back line, but in general, is they do have the cavalry to be able to fill that void um, almost without sort of missing him as such. I reckon, which is a positive for their depth. And they've got so much of it at the moment. And Jason Johannesson's form, especially since after he got dropped after the Melbourne Clash in round one, he's just been back to basically his form of 2016 when he won the Norm Smith medal. Who's your pick, Nathan, and why? Look, I actually think surprisingly, especially the conditions that Darwin would dish up, it would be a close game. I'm going to go the Bulldogs by a couple of goals. I just think their class is a little bit too much for the, uh, for the Suns. Uh, you know, multiple kicking options up forward and, and, you know, just the dominance of their midfield. I, I don't see many midfields getting on top of them, let alone the goal cut. So I reckon Doggies by a few goals. Yeah, I've got the Western Bulldogs too, Nathan. Those dewy conditions are coming during the game too. is going to make it a, a difficult proposition at the best of times. And the Suns, no doubt, will challenge the Bulldogs. But yet again, I think, as you touched upon too, led by skipper Marcus Bond, Pelly, Tom Liberatore in the clinches doing his grunt work in the contested coalface will get the Bulldogs over the line and plus their forwards too. Aaron Norton up there having a solid season. We'll turn now attention to the struggling West Coast Eagles whose season is in the real dire at the moment after 116 point crushing at the hands of Hawthorne, its fifth worst defeat in club history. And the Bombers after Four weeks where they were in right in the hunt of games, especially against Port Adelaide when they went down to the tune of five points at the Adelaide Oval back in round eight. They had a 28.3 quarter time lead against Collingwood in round six to Anzac Day Clash before being overrun to the tune of 13 points. And finally, they got reward for effort last week with a thrilling one-point win over Richmond in the dream time at the G Clash. Their first win against the Tigers on that same event since round 11, 2014. What do we make of where both teams are at as well too, Nathan, because the Bombers have got some welcome inclusions back into the team with Jaden Laverde, Dylan Shield, and Mac Welfie returning from injury? Yeah, 100%. I think, as you said, Essendon's had an interesting month. Um, last week, I think, was, you know, reward effort for that block of work that done a couple of close losses and some reasonable performances as well. So I think from that perspective, you know, it was good to see them get that reward. Um, and then, yeah, from the West Coast perspective, I think probably positive for West Coast is you look at the ins, you know, Yo, Hearn and Brass specifically does add that sort of, you know, senior leadership that they're really seeking out for at the moment. It's a young team, um, has been injury ravaged, unfortunately, but, you know, Yo, Hearn and Brass into that back line and off the half and potentially in the midfield for Yo as well will help. Um, but you know it's a tough it's a tough situation for West Coast at the moment, and I think despite the uh, the poor performances, it is good to at least be getting some run to these young kids as well. 
Yeah, definitely for sure too, Nathan. As well, the likes, well, Ruben Jimby's been a real standout so far this season. Now the Eagles' young crop of players, he's tackling pressure, he's contested workers, giving them a lift even through the most trickiest of times at this stage. I think one thing possibly that West Coast will definitely look back to, of course, was that round 15 clash when they beat the Bombers here at Optus Stadium in that Friday night game by roughly around a couple of goals. So I guess we'll see what happens on Friday night too. But when you look at the way Essendon's been playing and they've had consistent performances right around and finally got their reward after a month of beating games, but ultimately not getting across the finish line. How do you make of what we expect on Saturday night and who, who are you picking and why? Look, I think Essendon win, but I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I think West Coast will try and junk it up as much as possible. You know, I'll probably get some motivation from being at home, getting a few senior players back in, hopefully having a half-decent crowd, um, you know, turning up on Saturday night as well. But, you know, you look at the lineups purely from a, a talent standpoint and across the, across the board, Essendon have just picking all the boxes for what they need to be able to win this game. So it'll be comfortable without it being a pretty game of footy to watch, I reckon. I think likewise too, Nathan, if the Eagles do try to make a scrapping way, the Bombers love to get speed on the ball and it's always been something that they've thrived on over the years when they've been up and running. Once they get that ball ticking along at 100 clicks an hour down the middle of the ground, they're extremely hard to stop. And if they do get that, then it's going to be ultimately game over. I've got the Bombers winning this probably to the tune of seven goals. That's my prediction. Yeah, I, I don't see it being a blowout. I reckon probably in that five, five to six goal range. I think West Coast will hang around enough to sort of keep their fans interested. But ultimately, I think a five or six goal win for the Essendon uh, footy club, I reckon. Yes, I think, yeah, likewise too, as just mentioned there as well with the Eagles and Bombers clash. We'll turn our attention now from the Saturday games to the first game of Sunday. Richmond versus Yatapulti at the MCG. Of course, Tuesday morning, the announcement that no one expected coming. Damien Hardwick announcing his resignation as Richmond coach, the longest tenured Richmond coach in the club's history, 14 seasons, and he delivered everything that Tigers, players, and fans could dream of. Three premierships in four seasons, got them out of the abyss into the promised land. You couldn't ask for more, and we'll see how many fans turn up on Sunday too, Nathan. That's going to be the most interesting part. Yeah, and look, you know, obviously it's, uh, you know, unusual in recent times for Richmond to be towards the bottom of the ladder. But I think from this game, I really do hope the Tiger Army come out in force this week and, you know, sort of get around the team and get around the club in a time of need, and especially for Hardwick in such sudden circumstances to leave as well. You know, I, I support his decision 100%, and I, I never really hope the team go out there and sort of play that dimmer Hardwick style, which is that hard-nosed, head over the ball, you know, sort of aggression that they were so known for in their premiership years um, and, and t- turn up a big upset. That'd be great. I think so too, Nathan. We'll definitely see the vigour of the Tigers of old really hit their straps too. And especially against Yata Pulte, who've been firing, absolutely firing, winners of seven in a row, beat Nam in soggy conditions last Friday night. Zach Butters, what a game he had, 41 disposals and two goals. He is an absolutely nuggety, contested, ball-winning machine. And he just delivered when it counted most, and especially that goal he kicked after three-quarter time to deliver Port Adelaide momentum. They were trailing by 11 points, could have been down 17, and, of course, 
all the momentum was going Melbourne's way. He's just been an absolute superstar this season. That's what Yatapurdi have needed. That was the questions going into the season. Who were going to be the next crop of young players to take over that mantle from Ollie Wines and Travis Boak? And those two, well, especially Ollie Wines, well, should I say, Zach Butters, Connor Rosie, and well, Xavier Dursman still on the sidelines with that knee injury. But Willem Drew's been an absolutely tackling machine and the contested beast and can play a number of different roles from tagging to winning his own ball. So they've got a firing at the moment at all cylinders, do the power. And what do we make of the game too, Nathan? Because I think, again, it's going to be cold in Melbourne, roughly about 15 degrees and raining too. So it's going to make for another sloggy affair in a way. I guess if um, if it is due to rain, you know, Port Adelaide sort of proved their ability to adapt and find those wet conditions and, you know, I guess on the other other side of things, there's always that argument or that thought around, you know, departing coach, next game, team gets up, North Melbourne almost did it last. But we've seen it multiple times in, you know, recent history where a coach leaves or gets sacked or whatever the case might be and the team gets up and wins. And, you know, from a crow supporter perspective, I'd love to see that. I'd absolutely love to see Richmond to get up. I, I think, you know, at the moment, Port Adelaide are playing a really balanced style of football. You know, you mentioned their midfield and, you know, we, we've got a shout out to Jason Horn Francis as well for the amount of flack that he's caught from the crowds. You know, he's playing sensational football, the standard that you'd expect from a number one draft pick and, you know, forward line. Uh, there's no no Charlie Dixon, no Todd Marshall coming back um, this week as well. But someone like a Jeremy Finlayson, you know, playing great, great football at the moment. Uh, Junior Rioli will come back in and give him that, that sort of small forward presence as well, which he's known for. And then, you know, their back line, their back line, there's no real big names in there apart from Alira Lear, but they're just getting the job done. And, um, you know, I think that balance is what's leading to, you know, their, you know, their all-round great performances over the last seven weeks and putting them in, in the contention. And, you know, I'm not sure what you think, Yuri, but I think probably the Richmond forward line, you know, can they kick enough goals against, a, you know, a good Port Adelaide back line to, you know, win this game? That, that's definitely I do have concerns in that regard too, Nathan, especially if Tom Lynch still been out with that long-term injury and him probably not being back until well after the bye. Again, Shay Bolton's the big X factor of the Tigers brigade too, Nathan, and he had that slow start to the season. He's started to pick it up in the last two, three weeks. And last week he was sold against the Bombers. And I'd just be curious to see what Andrew McCall, to the interim Richmond coach for the rest of the season, does with Shea. Because at times they can float him forward and he'll absolutely tear a game apart in 10 minutes. And when they put him in the middle, he'll give them that injection of speed through the midfield. Again, that question in itself that's going to be the hardest one to tell. And the other one, of course, is, as you mentioned too, Nathan, about the goal supply too. Apart from, of course, Jack Rewalt being the player that has been for Richmond Football Club for 17 seasons, is how, in terms of what do they do? Do they make a swing adjustment? Do they try and get a different dimension in terms of putting a player who's not known for his goal kicking? Because I think we've seen probably the last, two weeks that they've put Marlon Pickett up forward and whether that's a defensive forward tagging role, don't know the exact answers to that. So, again, that's going to be extremely interesting to see how they approach it come Sunday. 
Yeah, I think probably the upside for Richmond is someone like a Dustin Martin has sort of found a bit of form and he's kicking goals as well. He's kicked a couple of bags in the last few weeks, which I think helps. And, you know, Samson Ryan sort of, you know, now with Nan Curvis back in the team, it's sort of been pushed forward a little bit more. And, you know, he still looks like a little bit of a baby giraffe out there when he plays. But, you know, hopefully give him time and he develops. And, you know, you talk about swing players. I probably think the only player that you look to probably swing forward in that Richmond team is a Noah Bolter. It's been done before. And I think the only reason you wouldn't is that Richmond back line is quite solid and he's a key contributor back there. But, you know, I think if you are looking for some sort of a tall injection in that forward line, it would be Bolter. I'm not sure what you think, but I probably personally don't see that happening at the moment. Yeah, I, I can't exactly point my finger exactly around what they'll do in terms of how they rethink their forward structure a bit too, Nathan, because Bolter at the start of his career in 2019 spent – the majority of his time off forward before he swung down back and, of course, was part of the Tigers' 2020 premiership as, a, as a, one of their key pillars in their back six. So I'll be curious to see what they do with Bolton moving forward in the second half of the season on that regard too. Who's your tip for this as well, Nathan? Because I think when you look at the odds as well, it was pretty close right from the get-go. Yeah, I think probably from a Port Adelaide perspective, the MCD has been a bit of a, you know, a tough venue to to play at. You know, it is for most teams and, you know, Richmond, great home ground advantage, especially if the crowd turns up as well. But, you know, from a Crows bias perspective, as much as I'd love to see Richmond get up the hard week in the club and win, Port Adelaide's been playing too well and I I don't see this being the game where they stop that form. Um, So I've probably got Port Adelaide winning this comfortably by at least five or six goals, um, I reckon. What do you reckon, Yuri? I think I've got the power too in this one, Nathan, put put in my tips this morning. I've got them winning by probably actually three to four goals. I think the Tigers will give them a real good shake, but again, just think, the defensive pillars that Port Adelaide have got and what they've been producing this season, I think, will be a bit too much to overcome for the Tigers. We'll turn our attention now from the MCG back to under the roof at Docklands. Collingwood and North Melbourne, we've seen, well, at least over the last decade probably with these two sides, North Melbourne have managed to at least punch the Magpies in the mouth. In 2019, there was that round 15 game, which... The Kangas won comfortably that night and all the way back in 2012, which North Melbourne won to the tune of five goals. But these are completely different times. And we've seen in the last basically 15 years that Collingwood have absolutely done a number on North Melbourne in games at the MCG. And even there was a sequence back in 2011, which the Magpies belted North Melbourne a couple of times in round two and round 16 to the tune of 87 points. And the other one as well, by 111 points on that Sunday afternoon all those years ago at the MCG. We'll go through the lineups starting with the Red Hot Pies at the moment who sit on top of the ladder. Finn, Finn McRae comes into the team. Does Likewise, Reef, Reef McGuinness and also two of Harrison. No changes for in terms of the other changes for the Pies, shall I say. And for North Melbourne, Cam Zerha comes back into the team as does Aiden Corp, Ben Cunnington, their veteran, and Charlie Lazaro and Dylan and should I say Liam Shields, the former Hawk three-time premiership player, is out with concussion. Where do you see in terms of North Melbourne's at least giving themselves some sort of crack against these red hot juggernaut pies, Nathan? Look, I think the kids showed their bit last week um, against Sydney, you know, especially uh, young George Wardlord finally getting his run. Tom Puffer the midfield as well. You know, they've got some spark and some excitement about them. And I think, you know, you mentioned the three begins of Paul Cunnington and Zerha sort of adding those senior sort of, um, you know, heads 
into that team. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. But, you know, on the other side of the fence, Collingwood are a well-oiled, you know, machine that is running hot at the moment. And probably one thing that I do want to touch on, and, you know, I know the joke's been about Richmond never travelled to Marvel and, you know, they do have the MCG this week. Still side bottom's 300th game. I'd be pretty disappointed as a as, as a Collingwood supporter and a you know, someone who works for the club, if Steel Sidebottom is playing his 300th game at Marvel. I'm not sure what you think about that, but I reckon that's a little bit off in my opinion. I think so too, Nathan. Well, I saw the fixture that the Magpies would be playing in Kangas under roof and Marvel was taking a bit of back too, considering the Magpies' enormously large supporter base and they will have easily got 75, 80K yet again, even though the Kangas have one of arguably the lowest supporter base in terms of number of fans right throughout the AFL, they've always been at the bottom of the rungs in that regard. So it is disappointing in a way that the game has been scheduled at Marvel Stadium, but that's just the way it goes. And yes, a huge congratulations as well to Steel Sidebottom. 300 games, absolutely consummate professional. That's all you can describe Steel as. You never see him in the headlines for controversy. He always delivers week in, week out. He can be dependent upon in the most crucials of situations and yet again even at the age of 32 he is just delivering week in week out and even when at times in in a new role on the wing for probably at least the last two three seasons and even though at times his disposal numbers have dropped his efficiency and influence on games still remains the same yeah, you're 100% right. You know, he's sort of got, he's sort of that player's a Swiss army knife. You know, he's got that ability to go into the middle of times and, you know, sort of be that, you know, dirty player that gets some um, clearances. Um, you know, he goes forward and kicks goals. He's, he's got a great kick on both left and right foot. Um, and he's sort of found a home on the wing now, just sort of roaming around, reading the players as a good senior player does and picking his time and times uh, when to go and when to sort of hold. And he's become a key cog, or not become, continue to be rather a key cog for that Collingwood team. And, you know, it's really funny. I saw, um, you know, highlights of him in, I think, 2008 or two, some, somewhere around that in a TAC Cup game where he bagged 10 and seeing still side bottom with hair is actually quite a funny little look, you know, considering, you know, he's been going bold for quite a while now. But, you know, he showed us that so, for so long that he's been a talented player and, you know, over that time nothing's changed. And it's a great achievement. 300 games, it doesn't happen, happen often. Um, so I think this is one that we really should get around and celebrate. It's so hard to comprehend back then, Nathan, back in the 2008 draft, still side bottom was the 11th pick. And you think right now if they were to do a redraft, of that draft class, which is deep enough in itself, he'd go number one, surely. Uh, you'd think so. Yeah, you, you, you'd think so. I, I think purely from his his output and longevity. Um, I, I think when you draft a player, that's what you look for, right, is someone that can contribute, you know, to a premiership team and a contending team, but also have that longevity and be, as you sort of mentioned, that consummate professional sort of a player. And he ticks all those boxes, in, you know, and, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing as well, right? No, it definitely is. It definitely is, Nathan, too. Just his class right throughout, too, is just second to none. And the way he's been delivering on all fronts from right from his first game all those years ago to right now, I think he was only a 18-year-old, if I'm not mistaken, as well, when he debuted all the way back in the 2009 season. And to see where he is right now, he's just never missed a beat. We'll get our tips now, too, for this game as well, Nathan, because this could be anything. It could be an absolutely magpie bloodbath or the 
Kangaroos will at least keep it competitive. What do you make of it? Oh, I, I, look, I, I think for the, the betterment of the, of the AFL and, you know, whatever else, we do want this one to be close, but I just don't see it being close. I think, you know, Collingwood are going to want to put a put a big effort in for Steele's 300th. You know, I've just seen here as well, Mason Cox playing his 100th as well, you know. He always bobs up and kicks a couple of goals in big games, so it's a big game for him. So he may bob up and kick a few goals as well. I just don't see this being close. This is going to be at least 10 goals um, because, unfortunately, that's where North Melbourne are and that's also just how good Collingwood are at the moment as well. I think, too, with North having those growing pains, it is expected when a side does rebuild from the bottom up that you're going to cop these hidings every now and again. And it is hard for especially kangaroo supporters since 2020 to wrap their heads around being on the end of beltings week in, week out. But when you see the continual growth of their young players, we can name, of course, the likes of Harry Sheasel, who's just been stellar in his first season. George, Ward- George Wardlaw in his debut game last week against Sydney looked right at home at AFL level. So they've got a lot of upcoming young kids who are really making their mark on the league too. And I think it's going to really hold them in good stead going forward in the years to come. I've also got the Magpies winning this pro to the tune of nine to 10 goals as well, Nathan. And we've seen probably once they get that real ruthless mindset going, I think that's going what's really separating them from where they are to where they really want to get to on the last Saturday, September. So yeah, I've got the Magpies winning this by roughly around nine to 10 goals for mine. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, um, and I really do hope, you know, Colling, Collingwood sort of, uh, as I said before, play the game. Still side bottom, and Mason Cox deserving their uh, milestone games. But uh, you know what, you're, I'm more excited to talk about the ninth and final game of this round, my boys. Three oh, let's yes. go. Yes, let's go, right? The final game of round 11, Adelaide versus Brisbane at the Adelaide Oval. The Crows have been exceptionally impressive at the Adelaide Oval. We've seen them get off to high-flying starts and teams that haven't been able to catch them once they get absolutely swooping. I think Carlton back in round 5-2, and only a couple of weeks ago, St Kilda felt the Crows' wrath right from the opening term and never got back into that contest. We'll start first with the team lineup, starting with the Crows. Tom Duday comes back into the team. Likewise, does Taylor Walker from from rest. He was managed last week. Riley Thilthorpe too. Jackson Hately, pretty sure it's his first game of this season and normally does play a tagging role for the Crows now. Ned McHenry and Josh Worrell. And for the outs for Adelaide, Mitch Hinge, who's been very impressive. He's played all nine games thus far for the Crows this season. He suffered concussion in that loss to the Bulldogs last Saturday at Ballarat. And Elliot Himmelberg has been omitted and Sam Berry is out, but most likely think will be the sub. We'll see why the Crows pull the pin on that. And for the Brisbane Lions, Darcy Gardner comes back into the team. His first game, pretty sure, as well this season. Devin Robertson, the East Mountain product. Daniel Rich after th- missing three weeks for that calf injury, which he strained against the Dockers back in round seven. Nakai Cocker, too. And also Madden comes back in team and likewise does Tom Fullerton. The outs for Brisbane in one of the big ones, too, with Jack Payne, who's been one of the real improving defenders, key defenders and key, well, intercept markers as well in the league. He's out. He suffered a slight delayed concussion last weekend. Harry Sharp has been omitted and Calamarchi is out but was the sub last week. So we'll see where the Brisbane Lions go from there. It's a highly intriguing game, that's for sure. Nathan, where do we want to first start with it? Uh, Let's start with Brisbane, I think. Brisbane have been very, very impressive 
not just in the, this last month, but for the whole, you know, season so far. Um, they've been a team that have been there or thereabouts for a very long time. And I think the additions of, you know, Josh Dunkley, Jack Gunston, and then Will Ashcroft from the draft have sort of you know, added that layer of class that this team have missed. Um, I think massive in with Daniel Rich, his ball use and his that left foot bullet of a leg that he's got. Um, is a massive in for them. But, you know, Jackson Payne going out is a, is a big loss. Also, Jack Payne, rather. Um, big loss for them, um, you know, especially with the tour fours that Adelaide do present for them this week. And I think it now puts more responsibility on someone like a Harris Andrews, who's, you know, more known for his floating, roving sort of defensive style. But now he will have to go to someone like a Taylor Walker or a Darcy Fogarty, which will sort of make him a little bit uncomfortable and a potential opportunity to, for the Crows to expose um, the Brisbane defence, but you know, I, I think Brisbane's uh, outside of their midfield, their forward line are absolutely humming at the moment. As much as much grief as um, Denaher and Hipwood have been betting, you know, over the last couple of years, they're starting to sort of find some consistent form and they're kicking goals and finding that real nice combination between the two. And then you know, their smart forwards are so dangerous with Carly Cameron. Jack Gunston up there, Lincoln McCarthy, you know, Zach Bailey will push forward and kick goals as well. It's a really dangerous team and, you know, it's a tough defence to stop. And I'm not sure if the Crows have got the, the cavalry to be able to stop that. What do you think, Yuri? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one too for Adelaide's back six, Nathan. They've been performing extremely well this season. Nick Murray, Jordan Butts have held their end against some of the top key forwards of the opposition sides this season. Charlie Kerno, Harry Mackay, just to name, well, those two, especially in that Carlton game when the Crows had to at least find a way to nullify them, and they certainly have. I think, too, the other part as well, just differing away from their back six as well, is what do they do with Ben Keys? Do they play him as a defensive forward tag or do they have him as a tag in the middle? What do you think of it? Um, I would probably play more as a tagging midfielder this week, if anything. I don't think Brisbane really present. Uh, many threats from a defensive perspective that would warrant a tag. The only one really would be Rich, but you know he's not sort of that rebounding half-back like a Dacos or a Sada that Keith has gone to previously. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays, you know, more in the midfield if he does in a tagging capacity, someone like a Lockie Neal or a Josh Dunkley who was so damaging in there for them. But, no, you're 100% right, you know, uh, ben Keys is sort of like that Swiss Army nice for the Crows, and depending on what they need, he's able to plug that gap. But I, I think I, I think the midfield, you know, I'm not sure what you think, but the midfield from a Brisbane perspective is probably their big, you know, driver three sort of a situation there. Yeah, I definitely agree too, Nathan. That has been the real. Well, Bronter has been for the last five seasons, but Josh Dunkley's inclusion as well has alleviated a lot of pressure off Lockie Neal too because we seen saw last season where teams went hard to work on Neal in terms of that hard tag and I think Marcus Windhager tagged him in the late season clash under the roof at Marvel and held Neal to just 16 disposals even though the Lions got the chocolates to the tune of 15 points. I think Brisbane have been able to counteract in ways and be able to throw various players through the midfield as well. Will Ashcroft in his first season has been amazing. Hugh McCluggage has had another consistent season. So those options there, it's hard to put a gauge on that for Adelaide respectively on who do they tag first. Of course, it'll be lucky nil, but those other four players are going to easily get off the leash. And I think that's in a way where it may come back to expose Adelaide, even though their midfield's been stellar this season. I think 
the last couple of seasons, maybe even heading into this season two for them was the questions on the midfield, but Jordan Dawson in his first season as captain has been tremendous and him playing in a midfield role has just sparked Adelaide middle midfield to just another level in terms of their production too and be able to have that real creativity at their hands because Dawson's such an, an elite user by foot and it's given that it's given Adelaide, shall I say, a real adventurous attacking mindset. I think something as well, Matthew Nix has really preached upon to the players too, and that's something that's really held him in good stead, especially this season where they're currently sit- sitting at the moment has just been a real transcendency for them as a football club. And I think when you look probably over the years as well, Nathan, with Adelaide, they haven't been in the bottom rungs for too long. Yes, maybe the early, I think it was 2010 when I expected to finish top four, they had a pretty disappointing season by their standards. And even the following season, they didn't have the standards they wanted to. And then, of course, when Brendan's, Brenton Sanderson took over prior to 2012 season, they had that tremendous jump finishing. I'm pretty sure it was in the top four that year. And they've always seemed to find a way, have the Crows to not be at the bottom of the rungs for too long and galvanise themselves collectively as a group and for the supporters to really get behind them once again. 100%. I think it's the ability to bring in classy players. And as you mentioned, Jordan Dawson's done that for us. Um, he's sort of out of that, you know, unexpected midfield ball almost where he's able to win the ball in the middle, but then be really classy with his, you know, ball use into the forward 50, which has been a real strength um, for Adelaide so far this season. I think in previous years, we've had ball winners. Got good ball users, and now we're starting to turn into a, mid, a midfield group of good ball users, which then means that you know our strong forward line are getting the delivery that they need to get first use of the football. And I think we've seen, especially in those in those uh, first quarters, specifically against uh, Carlton and against um, St Kilda, as you mentioned earlier, winning the ball in the midfield, but then getting first use. And once those fours get a little bit of confidence, they're up and about. And especially Adelaide Oval, that crowd will be going nuts as well. And I think, you know, uh, with the return of Taylor Walker, you know, it gives that forward line that stability they require. So, look, I'm excited. I am a little bit upset about Mitch Hinge not being out of play. He, I think underratedly he has had a very, very good season, being that, you know, trusty left foot rebounding of a halfback. You know, him and Brody Smith sort of were half flanks together really, really well. Um, you know, I'm intrigued to see how he plugs that gap. Tom Duday back, he's not quite that player. Um, but, you know, it is exciting to sort of see Taylor back in the team along with Duday as well. It's definitely given him a lot of options too, Nathan, with especially the inclusions of former skipper Taylor Walker back in the team and Tom Duday's intercepting marking is something that has a real strength of his too. So this game should be an absolute corker, 100% about it too. It's arguably the match that round and what a fitting way too for it to be the final game of round 11 as well. What do we make of our predictions too? Because I just don't see this game being anything but close. My prediction is the Crows. Now, I'm taking my, my Adelaide hat off for this as well. Um, I, I, I truly think, you know, the way that they are able to play the Adelaide Oval is unlike pretty much any other team in the AFL for their home ground advantage. We've seen that their quick starts are, you know, you know infectious. Once, once one player gets a kick and a hand pass, everyone else is up and about and the crowd get into it. I think if they can kick Brisbane early, um, then it's going to be a long road back like we've seen previously. Um, but, you know, in saying that the Brisbane midfield and the, the strength and depth across the for them is, you know, of concern. But, 
you know, I'm backing in Adelaide to be able to get off that hot, hot start and hold that lead for the remainder of the game. What do you reckon? I've got the Lions narrowly, narrowly by a kick or two. It just, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if the Crows get off to another red-hot start in the opening quarter, have a four or five-goal lead and have Brisbane play and catch up because I think we saw in round one when the Lions played Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, that got completely blown out of the water in the second half. And Adelaide do have, in terms of their playing style, is similar when Port Adelaide get up and going too, when they get that fastball movement going, when they separate Taylor Walker and Darcy Fogarty in one-on-one situations, they are super hard to stop. So again, that side of it doesn't surprise me. I think in terms of where Brisbane's classy forward line really takes into effect as well, once they get more than, say, 15 marks inside 50, it's contagious. It becomes contagious for Brisbane. And we saw against North Melbourne, I think they – had a record, pretty sure it was a record 33 marks inside 50. And, of course, being the Kangaroos, it was a long day for them. And Adelaide can't afford that for that to happen on Sunday. They have to get the ball to ground and allow for well, Tom Duda as well, allow for Brody Smith to rebound of halfback and not allow Brisbane's excellent forwards to have the opportunity to keep the ball inside their attacking 50. So I've got Brisbane for my bar goal too, but this game should be extremely close. Yeah, agreed. It breaks my heart that you're going against my boys, but look, I can definitely see see a world where Brisbane win. They're a classy team. Um, they've been on a great win streak at the moment, and they've got all the pieces across the lines to, to, to be able to win and, and quite possibly win comfortably as well. But, you know, I'm remaining optimistic for my boys as well. For sure, for sure, Nathan. I just... It's too hard, again, it's too hard to tell exactly where we pinpoint on all of this. But that does it here for the Round 11 preview here on Mojo Sports. Thank you for listening as well. And you can find our podcast as well on Apple and Spotify and any of the other various podcast channels too. It's been a great pleasure as well to have Nathan Jennings on the show. Nathan, big thank you for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And we'll see this same time as well next Thursday too for a round 12 preview. Enjoy the footy and again, we'll see you back here same time Thursday next week.